Crabs. That is the name of the album on which you'll find this song. It's called Bam Bam. It is from the band Crabs. You can find them at getcrabs.bandcamp.com. They are a surf band based out of Edinburgh, and they're awesome. They gave us permission to play their music on Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's the home of classic monsters, modern talk, and me, Derek M. Cook, your writer, host, producer. How's everybody doing? Welcome to the show this week. We've got another really cool movie on deck to talk about, a movie that was a first-time watch for me. There's a reason for that, and I'll get into that with this week's guest. This week's guest is Todd Brown. He is the man behind the Haunted Cinema, really cool website, and he wanted to talk about a really cool movie called The Colossus of New York. Like I said, this was a first time viewing for me. It was really interesting and it really got me thinking about a lot of different things. And I think it's going to get you guys and gals thinking too. Also, of course, we've got Kenny's look at famous monsters of film land, where he's going to talk a little bit about, well, one of the actors of the Colossus of New York and his segment kind of sent me down a rabbit hole online. And now there's like three or four movies that I'm adding to my two watch list because, you know, my two watch list needed some extra movies added to it. So we have that coming up, and I want to tell you a little bit about what's happening this weekend on Saturday, because of course we're doing another Social Distance Saturday. I'm not quite sure what we're going to call it this time around, considering the movies that we're showing. You know, I try to come up with a name that kind of ties into one of the films. I'll tell you what movies we're going to show. Maybe that'll help me figure out what to call it and help entice you to come over to the Monster Kid Radio Twitch stream this Saturday. We're going to be showing movies like Adam Age Vampire. We're going to be showing Vincent Price's movie Shock. We're going to be getting our zombie on with Horror of the Zombies. We're going to engage in some Larry Buchanan shenanigans with Creature of Destruction. And of course, we're going to be doing at least two more chapters of the Crimson Ghost serial. That's been a big hit. I'm really surprised, actually. I like the Crimson Ghost. It's something that we talked about here on the show way back in the day with Eric, and that was a lot of fun. And it's been a real treat to revisit The Crimson Ghost because I hadn't seen it since then. And to see it with some people who had never seen it before and just to kind of feed off their excitement in the chat. That's right, in the chat. That's one of the best things about the stream this weekend and every weekend is that there is a live chat happening while the movie's playing. Normally, we say no talking during the movie, but you can chat it up all you want and talk about the movies that we're watching, talk about anything really Monster Kid related. It's been a lot of fun. If you are a user of Twitch or if you're considering Twitch or you've never used Twitch, I mean, everybody's invited. It's free. It's twitch.tv slash Monster Kid Radio. Consider following Monster Kid Radio on Twitch and you'll get notified every time I go live. I don't only do it on Saturday. Sometimes just randomly, I'll start showing something just because I'm testing out a few things on the Twitch interface. And if I'm showing something, you're more than welcome to hop on over and watch it with me. Also, please consider subscribing to the Twitch stream, and we can talk a little bit more about that on the weekend during the stream itself. And this weekend's stream, extra special. Stuffed with Character has been running some amazing giveaways during the streams, and this upcoming weekend's one is extra special. Come on over and check that out. That's Stuffed with Character, which is run by Tracy Morris, one of the co-muckety mucks of Disney Indiana. If you've seen her wares at Monster Bash, you know that her stuffed with character um, characters are awesome. So 
maybe we'll see you at the stream. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the show once we get through talking about the Colossus of New York and we get through Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. If you have any comments for the show, please feel free to send them in to me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Comment on anything you hear in this week's episode or any of the previous 474 episodes of the podcast. We'd just love to hear from you and incorporate your feedback into a future episode. And finally, before we get on with everything, I want to put the call out. I'm looking for some internet movie database power users, people who have accounts with the IMDb and know how to work their system in terms of entering new data. Got a project that I'm working on and it's taking a very long time. So if I can get some help, that would be ideal. So if you're an IMDb power user, reach out to me. Maybe drop me an email. Again, that's monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Okay. As much as I could sit here and just listen to the song Bam Bam over and over again because I love it, we got a show to get to. And that's going to happen right now. search is nearing an end. At last, the collectible toy oasis. Hey, Henry! Hey, kid! What's it gonna be? Indy or Han? Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shot, 7129 Northeast Fremont Street. Vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongue's Toys. This is Vincent Price. I've been involved in many blood-chilling films like The House of Wax and The Fly, but never have I played in a more terrifying shocker than my new picture, The House on Haunted Hill. It's a story guaranteed to make you shudder with fright. See The House on Haunted Hill, if you dare. Oh, hey, I completely forgot to mention at the beginning of the show that I will be appearing on another podcast later this week. I'll be on episode number five of the podcast then is now. You can find out more about that at havenpodcasts.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. I was invited to be on the show. It was a really fun interview. It was a great time. I can't wait to go back to that show and do even more because we really only got about halfway through what we initially planned to talk about. The Then Is Now podcast comes from the same creative force behind the upcoming podcast, The East Meets the West, which I'm also going to be a future guest on. So check that out. And here's the trailer for... The East meets the West. Why, well, howdy, partner. How can I help you today? I'm looking for a movie to watch, but I... What in tarnation was that? Never you mind, son. Now let's focus on your needs here. I'm looking for something to watch, but I want something I ain't seen yet. Yeah. Ooh, watch yourself there, partner. Why, well, I reckon you come to the right place. You've come to the place where the East meets the West. The East meets the West? Where is that and how's that going to help me? Ooh, that was close. You better duck. I don't understand what's going on here. It's like I'm in a place where Kung Fu and Cowboys have combined somehow. Well, that's right, partner. You're going to find some offbeat films here, no doubt about that. 
host Rigor is going to take you on a journey to discover not only the hundreds of amazing martial arts films of Hong Kong's Shaw Brothers, but also Italy's spaghetti westerns. Spaghetti westerns? Is that some kind of joke? No, sir. Western movies made in Italy from the 60s to the 80s are called spaghetti westerns, and that's a fact. You can find the East Meets the West on all the major podcasting apps, as well as havenpodcast.com. Well, thank you kindly, sir. You done settled my entertainment needs, even though it was a tad dangerous in your store. Like I said, go to your podcasting apps or go to havenpodcast.com. The East meets the West. Your new favorite ranch to hang out at. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today's film, Colossus of New York, was not featured in FM, but one of its stars merited a lengthy obituary at his passing. Otto Kruger, who plays Dr. William Spencer in the film, passed away on his 89th birthday in September of 1974, and his FM obituary appeared in issue 113 from January of 1975. It was eight pages long and included eight photos. It begins with a brief look at his first major film role, a fantasy entitled Turn Back the Clock from 1933, which Forey saw when he was 17. The bulk of the article described a visit Forey and two East Coast fans had with Mr. Kruger just four months before his passing. Here's a funny anecdote from that meeting. When Mr. Saha asked if it was all right to take pictures of him, Mr. Kruger cordially replied, You can do anything you like, young man. When Mrs. Saha confessed to him that she had been in love with him on the screen for years, he arched an eyebrow gave her that famous penetrating stare and declared theatrically, lies. The article goes on to mention some of Otto's 100 films, including these known and loved by Monster Kids. But of course, we of the fantasy persuasion remember him best for his performances in the Witch Curse film of 1945, The Woman Who Came Back, the Ape Girl film with Rondo Hatton, Jungle Captive, the Colossus of New York, where he was the scientist who lost control of the robot, the wonderful brothers Grimm, and especially Dracula's daughter. The article concludes with some last words about Forey's visit. I gave him a photo of himself in one of his mad doctor poses, ice pick poised aloft, and Mrs. Saha bent over his shoulder from behind his chair and asked him, what were you doing there? He chuckled and replied, Lord knows. I jollied with him and asked questions like how many band-aids did he use when he played opposite Dracula's daughter, and he joked along with us with a dry sense of humor. He had known Boris Karloff socially and spoke very highly of him. We were reluctant to leave but didn't wish to overstay our welcome, so we quickly had a few photos taken with him and then we were on our way. We could not know that the first time we saw Otto Kruger would be the last time, but it will always be a time to remember and I am glad it can be shared with our readers. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
Kid Gals know that I like to play movie trailers on episodes of Monster Kid Radio, and I try real hard to make sure that the movie trailers are relevant to some of the things that come up during the episode. And in this case, I went looking for a trailer for one of the films that Kenny mentioned during his segment. 1933's Turn Back the Clock. His description of it made it sound kind of neat, so I went and looked it up and well, I couldn't find a trailer that would have appropriate audio to play here on the show. I watched the trailer and I was shocked. The Three Stooges are in it. Now, they're not playing their yuck, yuck, yuck kind of characters, but the Three Stooges are in that movie. How cool is that? I'm definitely going to be checking that one out. And then the Brothers Grimm movie that he mentioned, I did find a trailer for that. We're going to play that here in a second. These are two movies that I have not seen yet. There's a lot of Otto Kruger out there that I apparently haven't seen. So, Kenny, thanks for adding even more movies to my to-watch list. Hitch a ride and careen across the countryside as the wonderful world of the Brothers Grimm sweeps you into an exciting new world of rollicking entertainment, happily enlivened by a distinctive cast of stars. Lawrence Harvey and Carl Bone portray the two brothers who together told a thousand stories the world will never forget. Once upon a time. Share the true life adventures of these incredible young men, their friends and their enemies, their lives and their loves. It was easy to fall in love with the dark-haired beauty of Claire Bloom and the blonde loveliness of Barbara Eden. Out of the world of reality, their fabulous stories actually come to life. Favorites like Hansel and Gretel, Cinderella, Rumpelstiltskin, and the Cobbler's Elves, George Powell's famous puppetoons. Yvette Mimeo is exquisite as the dancing princess who loses her heart to popular Russ Tamlin. Jim Backus rules a jovial court. And hilarious Terry Thomas portrays a dragon-hunting knight. But he leaves his fighting to that stalwart hero, Buddy Hackett. The wonderful world of the Brothers Grimm not only will startle your eyes with its breathtaking vistas and warm your heart with its human drama, but it will transport you to the storybook world where you can dance with a beautiful princess or fight a duel with a fire-breathing dragon. In a wonderful world of romance, adventure, songs, spectacle, and stars. Imagine the world around you is nothing but an illusion. Creatures of legend wage endless wars between shadow and light, but you never see it. Even now, dark forces threaten reality as we know it, but most people never know they exist. This is the world I walk in. I am called Byron, and these are my chronicles. The Byron Chronicles, available at ericbosbypresents.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else podcasts are available. Ah, thank you. I've been standing there for centuries. <laughs> yes, I suppose it seemed... Why, it's raining, but you're not wet. No, I'm not, am I? Uh, where are you coming from? 
I was watching a wonderfully terrifying double feature movie. I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula. Oh? Professor Frankenstein created a teenage monster to bring havoc and terror to all who meet him. But he left a few parts out, particularly in the poor lad's face. Now, may we change and the, the vampire in Blood of Dracula, quite unfriendly except when hungry, than any friend will do for a few ghastly moments. Please, I... Oh, here's where I must leave you. But there's nothing here but an old cemetery. Yes, I know. I want to meet some old friends here. After you see I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula, you might drop back here. We'll discuss the pictures to some length. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll do that. Beware of the astro zombies. They mutilate, they torture, they kill. Spine-tingling horror, unspeakable shock, and breathless excitement will grip you as you watch living organs ripped from the bodies of voluptuous females as beating hearts and throbbing brains are transplanted to create the astro zombies. Cringe in terror, scream in fright as these skull-faced monsters strike blindly at living flesh and the motion picture screen flows in the blood-drenched wake of the astro zombies. The beautiful, voluptuous, deadly, Vicious Satana, a woman who would stop at nothing to gain control over the astro zombies, whose creed was kill, kill, kill. John Carradine as the deranged scientist, Wendell Corey as the doctor who opposes him, match wits in this bloody, sadistic, terror-filled, suspense-laden horror film of brutal mutilations and senseless killings as the astro zombies go berserk and threaten a city with death. Watch it and you die a thousand deaths. The astro zombies in color coming soon to your local theater. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of. Like that pesky Van Helsing. When I pulled up Skype, it said to me that it had been over a year since I had last connected with Todd via Skype. Has it been that long since I've had you on the show, man? It has been that long. <laughs> we, what wow. was it? Uh, the One of the Blood Trilogy movies. I can't even think of the one right now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, one of the Toho uh, Bloodthirsty Trilogy yep. films, one of the vampire films from the 70s. Or yep. Yeah, man, that's been a while. Wow. Yes. It has. Wow. So in that year or so, and I know this episode is going out about a month after we record it, so it's kind of hard to say what's going to happen in the month, but in the past year, what's been going on with the haunted cinema? So first off, and I'll tell you what, I was kind of blown away and taken aback. I was nominated. Uh, the site was nominated for a Rondo. We didn't win, but that's, to me, being nominated with the group of people and, and group of sites and creators and artists, that's a win to me. I was shook off seat so that right. that was cool 
got a lot of interviews up lately. We've been hitting a lot of horror authors, weirdly enough, lately. A, sp- a lot of female horror authors, which I think is really cool um, to get their perspective. Yeah. Um, and uh, we finished. I had moved into a new uh, condo, and we finished the Haunted Cinema Home Theater build downstairs. We got all done with that, but now I have to move on to stage two, which is going to be where I keep my monster mask collection. So it'll be the mask crypt. That'll be start. That's starting. We're almost ready to <laughs> kick off, break ground on that. It's been a crazy year getting stuff going on, getting interviews going, talking to a lot of people. Uh, it, it's just, it's just been a lot of fun this year. Right yeah. on. Yeah. I was going to bring up the Rondo thing. So I'm glad you did. That's awesome. That is awesome. The rondos are are pretty important, yeah. you know, to our community. I think, especially when a website or a podcast that <laughs> uh, specifically deals in the traditional monster kid arena. I, I know that a lot of times some of the more modern stuff gets highlighted at the rondos, but you know, to see us kicking it old school and representing makes me happy. And as I said, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't win. To me, to be nominated was like a win. So I'm just like, like I, said, I was, I was floored by that point. To win it, I would have probably been off my chair and on the ground. That was, that was an awesome. <laughs> just to be, and if people haven't checked out the Rondo Awards, I think it's RondoAward.com, not with an S, just Rondo Award, and look at some of the categories and some of the artists and websites like yours or podcasts like yours and and uh, artists and authors and articles and magazines and movies. It's a crazy cool list of some of the best things in our hobby and genre out mm-hmm. there. And it's astounding to just see all the stuff. I think you used to do a uh, Christmas shopping guide. Wasn't that true based on that? Yeah. And, and that's what I was going to say. I used to use it as like a shopping list or a mm-hmm. checklist to go through and see all the things that I missed. Because if it's on that ballot, you know, it's quality. And that is. That's true. You know, the magazine articles, the books, the Blu-rays, the commentary yep. tracks. It's all it good. So that was cool. Well, if it makes you feel better, I was nominated for uh, my Rondo. I was on the, the runner-up list for like five, six years, various things before I finally got mine. So. And I voted for you for five or six years, just so you know. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, yeah, no, yeah. no. No, and it is cool. It is cool. There's a lot of really awesome people out there that won and, and were nominated, and you're one of them, sir. No, I appreciate that. So for people who don't know, what is The Haunted Cinema? It started out a way, 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 way back when. I used to sell uh, DVDs and, and movies, and then I stopped doing that after. It was came to the point where I either had to keep doing that full-time, kind of like Ron Adams, who does it very, very well, or stop it and do my regular career, which I chose. But then I moved into, you know, I collect movie posters and I collect monster masks and all kinds of horror, different horror things and sci-fi things. And and I said, well, you know what? I, I probably need to at some point for insurance purposes, really, was it started out with. I probably need to get these things photographed and get them up. And, and that way I can I can uh, have it for insurance purposes. And maybe somebody will come by and look at it. And I did that. And that was kind of fine. Actually, I haven't updated that part of the website for a very long time. But after a while, I was like, well, who's going to want to come see the exact same posters all the time and the exact same mask all the time? So I said, well, maybe I'll do news. I'll add a section of news. And But everybody else does news, and, and most of them do it way better than I do. Then I was like, well, I could do, um, you know, reviews of movies. And, and a lot of people do that way better. And I still do a little bit of that. I, I did an interview with a horror host um, from Australia, weirdly enough, was my first one. And 
that kind of took off. A lot of people liked it. And I started changing my focus to a lot of people interview the actors and actresses and, and different people who are in the movies. And I realized after being in enough panels that a lot of those people don't even like horror movies. You know, you'll talk to somebody and say, what's your favorite horror movie? I don't like horror movies. So I started talking to authors and artists and filmmakers and collectors and people who really super love the genre and make it fun. And that was that's my goal now. And so I talk a lot, to, uh, interview a lot of authors. I just completed, uh, I think, five or six, maybe some women um, authors from uh, there was an anthology called Under Her Dark Wing, which was great. A bunch of female horror authors, which was cool to get their perspective. I do a lot with filmmakers. I talk to a lot of, especially indie filmmakers, and a lot of those people need all the uh, promotion they can get to get their stuff out there. And there's some great stuff being done on the indie scene. Talk to them, and I talk to a lot of artists who do just amazing John Fabonio and and just oh gosh I can't even think of all the different artists I've talked to great stuff Estieri um, some great great cool stuff from that side of the thing and then collectors people who collect really cool stuff and really I just did the, my last interview was Parlor of Horrors and he is an amazing collector with an amazing uh, display so that's what I decided to, to key on to and horror hosts I love my horror hosts. I grew up with three of them in Cleveland, so I want to shine the spotlight on horror hosts any possible chance I can get, and uh, I've talked to a ton of them, and they're all fun, and they're all interesting, and they all have a different point of view, so that's pretty much what the haunted cinema does now, a little less than the other stuff, but pretty much focused on the interviews, and and I do have uh, Karen Joan Kohotek uh, write some great, great articles for me, mm-hmm. so we get those in there, and, and she has fun with it, although her articles, every time she writes one, it's a new movie I haven't seen, and then I have to go out and hunt down that movie and see it, because it sounds so great, but <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I told her that before, I'm like, would you quit doing that, because I can't get all these movies in, I can't see them all, so that's what we do at the Haunted Cinema. Right on, yeah, Karen, friend of the show, she's been on the show, you know, and uh, she knows what she's talking about. I, I really enjoyed her series on your website. Awesome. So we wanted to talk about a particular movie, and we're going to get to that. But, you know, Todd, there's something we got to do. I love it. I can't wait. This is my favorite thing about the show. I got to be honest with you. And I got to be honest, <laughs> I have forgotten to do this with the last few people I've had on the show. So I'm, I'm eager to dive back into the cards. <laughs> the Classic Five, the game that we play with everybody that comes on the show. It's a deck of cards. Each card has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question? There are no wrong answers. They're all questions about monster movies. And it's just a way to keep monster kids talking. Todd, are you ready to play? The Classic Five! I am ready, and I always do poorly, but I am ready. Hey, no wrong answers, man. No wrong answers. Card number one. What classic monster movie would you show as part of a double feature with the original Godzilla? With the original Godzilla, I would show, I think, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Oh, interesting choice. The Beast. The Beast. The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Herald Square, 34th Street, Broadway. Every section of the city is guarded. No one knows where the monster will strike next. Yeah, I think that gives you a Japanese taste, and Godzilla's fantastic for that, and and then the more Western taste or American taste with the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And I think anything Harryhausen, because that that movie gives you a jump-off point to a whole bunch of other movies 
you know, from the yeah. million years to Earth or miles to Earth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, no, I think I would pair that with Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Good call. I like that. I like that. Almost everybody says King Kong whenever I bring that one up. But no, that's good. I like that. I like that a lot. And you get two big lizards. I right, see. You get two big lizards. So you you can't go. lose. See, you're doing good so far. <laughs> that was a softball, I think. <laughs> there you go. All right. Card number two from the Hammer expansion. Not counting the original. What is your favorite Hammer Frankenstein film? My favorite, and I'll tell you, I, I think in my personal opinion, the Frankenstein films are probably the best of hammer. Um, okay. by far, I think, I think the way they took the story away from the focus on the monster and made the monster, the man, uh, in Frankenstein, um, I would probably have to say Frankenstein must be destroyed. I can transplant his brain. If I don't, it'll die through lack of oxygen. In his nightmare mind, one more horror, one last horrendous act. Frankenstein must be destroyed. For God's sake, go away! Please! Frankenstein must be destroyed. Peter Cushing, Veronica Carlson. Frankenstein must be destroyed. This picture has been rated M, suggested for mature audiences. And and for me, that's picking out of all of those films. And there's some problems in that movie that the filmmakers wanted that neither the actors or actress wanted. But that's hard. That's like, you know, which are your favorite children, right? <laughs> I think that whole series is so good <laughs> that it's unbelievable. Okay, well, card number three is, funnily enough, who is your favorite child? No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have none. I have three, but I have none. Okay, Okay, seriously, though, this is from the Universal expansion. Who do you prefer, Una O'Connor as Jenny in The Invisible Man or Minnie in Bride of Frankenstein? (laughs) Uh, Jenny in The Invisible Man. I think she was placed in Bride of Frankenstein to be just add to the comedic relief of Bride of Frankenstein. I think there's some comedy in Bride of Frankenstein. She had a piece of the story in Invisible Man. And I got to be honest with you, Invisible Man is one of my favorite Universal movies anyway. So, Oh, really? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Um, I would say there she had a more meaningful role. I mean, not, not a great, huge role as far as what she did. But in Bride of Frankenstein, it was more just screaming, there's a Frankenstein and blah, blah, blah. And he's back and that kind of thing. So that's my answer. Okay, fair enough. All right, card number four. What's your favorite Vincent Price film? My favorite Vincent Price film, the easy go-to answer would be House on Haunted Hill, because that's a great film, and I just love that movie. I just recently watched, and and I really dig Madhouse. And and have you seen that? Him in uh, Cushing, right? Yeah, because first off, it gives me a little bit of the horror host vibe, right, that I love. I think I really dig him in that movie quite a bit, but with Vincent Price, you know, catch me on, you know, tomorrow and I'll give you a different one because I love almost everything he does. So, <laughs> but we'll, we'll say Madhouse cause I saw that just recently. Perhaps it was inevitable 
For years, Vincent Price has played the role of Dr. Death. For years, he has pretended to be a hideous, murdering monster. Now, he has actually become one. American International presents Vincent Price in Madhouse. Madhouse, where lunacy lives, fear lurks, evil walks, and death waits. Madhouse, an endless nightmare from which there is no return. Madhouse, a cinematic shock treatment guaranteed to scare you out of your mind. No one ever leaves Madhouse. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. You asked me today what my favorite Vincent Price film is, and yeah, it's going to change tomorrow. Exactly. I don't know if I have a bad Vincent Price film. I don't know if there's a film I say, ah, boy, I really, he really stunk that place up. <laughs> I, I know there are films that some people actively dislike for various reasons, and justifiable reasons, thinking of which fighter general to begin with. Technically, it's great. It's well-directed, well-produced, and Vincent Price does an incredible job. But he's a terrible human being in that film. Yes, and I'm actually going to change my answer, if that's all right. Uh-oh. I just thought Uh-oh. the movie, my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time is Laura. Oh, yeah. You have rarely met a girl like Laura. Few women have been so beautiful, so exotic, so dangerous to know. You're Laura Hunt, aren't you? Yes. I'm Shelby Carpenter. Want to dance? I'm not alone. It was as natural for Laura to be picked out from among thousands of alluring girls as it was for her to be surrounded by luxury, mystery, and scheming men. Get going. You better watch out, McPherson, or you'll end up in a psychiatric ward. I don't think I've ever had a patient who fell in love with a corpse. Miss Hunter and I were going to be married this week, you know. No, he doesn't know. And neither do I, or you, or anyone else alive. I love, Laura is absolutely one, and if you've never seen Laura, you should see Laura. It's an amazing film noir. Um, Vincent Price was young, super young in that movie. Yeah. Actually, I think I'm going to completely change, because I just, like I said, I just saw Madhouse, so it got fresh on my mind, but Laura is hands down my favorite film, and one of my favorite films, and one of my favorite portrayals by Vincent Price in that. Right on, and I think that's uh, Victoria Price's his daughter's favorite mm-hmm. performance too. I love so. that movie. I absolutely love that movie. Right on. All right, final card, and this is actually coming from the Deep Cut expansion. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Journey to the Seventh Planet or the Brain from Planet Eros? You know, I, I'm. <laughs> I love those movies. I'm going to say Journey to the Seventh Planet, just because I think that was the movie that I probably, as a kid growing up on. Watching Superhost, that was my one of my horror hosts, or Big Chuck and Little John. I think I probably saw Journey to the Seventh Planet 700 times because <laughs> it seemed like it was always on. <laughs> Is the Seventh Planet a world with a seventh sense? Can they make things and people appear and disappear? Who opened the airlock? Have they new and terrifying powers of mind over matter? I like them both, but I'm going to go Journey to the Southern Planet because that's got a heartfelt spot uh, for me as far as movies go. Not the greatest movie of all time, but a lot of fun. It's hard to go wrong with John Agar. 
you can never go wrong with John. There's not a John Agar film out there that I dislike. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, I would probably go the other way just because I really love the brain from Planet Eros. But Journey to the Seventh Planet has the best opening theme song. I love it. Journey to the Seventh Planet. Come to me. Let your dreams become reality. I wait for you. It does. And like I said, it's just that I saw it so much as a kid. Um, it's probably one of the movies that, that molded me into a monster kid. So I, I'm going to have to yield that again. And I like them both. That's again, back to picking your favorite child. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the classic five and Todd, I know I said there were no right answers or wrong answers, but uh, you won. Hey, hooray. Your prize is that we get to talk about a really interesting sci-fi flick that was a lot shorter than I thought it would be. Yep. The Colossus of New York from 1958. It's inhuman. Inhuman. It'll be inhuman to deprive the world of his genius. With your knowledge of automation, you can help him to live again. Fantastic are the implications of this story today as men delve ever closer to the secrets of eternity. This story of a human mind and emotions encased in a steel colossus without a soul. That isn't just an abstract intellect. It's a brain that remembers and feels and suffers. Do you think for one minute he can continue to exist when he's been deprived of everything he's ever known or loved? Impelled by an overwhelming lust for revenge against the world that remade him in this inhuman mold. Unchecked by any barrier of man or nature. Running wild in a terrifying orgy of destruction. Heck of a Frankenstein story, huh? Yeah, and this was a first time watch for me. It's one that, and, and I think I've talked about this here on the show before. Were you listening to podcasts back in the day when Vince Rotolo was still around with the B-Movie cast? Oh, yeah. I love them. Okay. I miss him. Me too. And they're still doing the B-Movie cast. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'm not implying. But uh, Vince would have me on his show every once in a while. And I always wanted to have him on Monster Kid Radio. And for some some reason, this is the one he always brought up. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I just never made it. We never made it happen. And it's probably more me than him in terms of scheduling. Sure. Just... I would have loved to have him on the show because he really was an influence. And I mean, I say ciao at the end of Monster Kid Radio in honor of him, you know? So I I always wanted to do this with Vince and it never happened. And I just never got around to watching the movie since then. I figured it was finally time to give it a go. And so I watched it for the first time and I was quite taken with this film. It is so not what I thought it was going to be. You know, it really breaks a lot of stereotypes and tropes in a way for the mad scientist monster kind of film for 1958. It, it really kind of went counter to, uh, to a lot of the stuff that's been out before, you know, obviously all the way back to Frankenstein. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it did run counter to a lot of those things. It really did. It, it was comforting because there are some people in this film that 
I know from other films. You know, you got Charles Herbert, you know, he was 13 Ghosts, you know, and you've got uh, Otto Kruger, who I've been more and more obsessed with lately, going all the way back to Dracula's Daughter. Um, you've got Robert Hutton in here. You know, so you got some really familiar monster movie sure. faces. But they're all acting their hearts out, man. I know what they say about kid actors or whatever, but Charles Herbert was great in this as Billy. And Otto Kruger, yeah. man, that guy can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. And like you said, it's got a familiar flavor of Frankenstein as well to it. So it all feels familiar, but it's such a unique story nonetheless. It, yeah, because as I said, it breaks tropes. There's are scientists, quote unquote. By this time in 1958, you're so used to the mad scientist, right? The uh, uh, I was a teenage Frankenstein, Whit Bissell, you know, that kind of stuff. And all those, these scientists, all of them were all trying to do good. Yeah. And they just lost a little sight of what they were doing. There was no evil intent throughout this entire movie. There was nobody that says, aha, what I'm going to do is is destroy the world or, or take over. You know, it was all done for good intentions, and it just went wrong. For the greater good, yeah. That's the thing that, that attracted me, because you always expected somebody to turn and say, aha, what we can do now is we can make you know metal men to rule the world or whatever. And it never happened that way without getting too far in to, to make his son bring him back. It wasn't to bring him back because he lost his son. It was to bring him back because he had a idea to feed humanity, right? To, to right. feed the hungry. It was a cool idea as far as a science fiction idea, what was going on. But there was no bad guys in this movie. There was no villain. It does take a little bit of a turn towards the very end of the film. And, and that's kind yeah. of where I was kind of getting at when I said it was shorter than I thought it was going to be. Because when that turn finally happened, I thought, okay, here we go. But really, that was almost... An after I don't want to say afterthought because it makes it sound like it wasn't very well thought out because it really was. It just it was. felt so condensed. I wished it had gone a little bit longer, but then I also yeah. understand why the characters made the choices that they did. And mm -hmm. man, I, I really enjoyed this film. I, I wish I had watched it sooner. And this was a film, and, and I bought this blind. Ron Adams, you talked about Monster Bash, you and I earlier. Ron Adams uh, did the, when he comes into to Akron, Ohio, I live or Canton, Ohio, I live in uh, just north of there. And he did the uh, Godzilla Film Fest, if you remember, I think yeah, yeah. two years ago. Mm -hmm. I went to that, and I grabbed, I was picking up some DVDs, and I'm like, ah, oh, Colossus New York. I've never seen it, never heard of it. And that's when I first crossed it and watched it. And I was like, wow, how did I never see this movie? And for those who haven't seen it, this is a movie that gets right to business. I mean, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of time uh, to get to where it needs to go. And as Derek said, it gets out in a very, I think, 70 minutes is its runtime. It gets in and it gets out and it tells a very good story in that runtime. I was actually surprised because I'm watching it and I feel like some of the scenes were artificially sped up. Yeah. Exactly. Were they concerned about hitting a runtime? Were they trying to make... I know it was released as a double feature with the Space Children, and maybe that was it. They wanted to make mm -hmm. sure that both movies together didn't exceed a particular length. A lot of sometimes films from that era, and I'm not trying to... I love them all, so believe me, I'm not condemning any of them. You know, they'll get caught in the love triangle or the love interest or the this or that. And there was a touch of that in this movie, mm -hmm. um, but they didn't really spend a whole lot of time focusing on that. Um, they used it as a plot device to move the story a little bit, um, right. but you get a feeling so watching some of the movies that we love that they padded a little bit, right? It's got to fit a certain amount of runtime. In a way, if anything, I think you were alluded to this earlier, they may have trimmed a little too much out of this film. They could have padded a touch bit extra to it, um, but it's lean, mean, and it tells a pretty solid story. It's almost 
honestly, if you look at this thing, it could be a Twilight Zone or an Outer Limits episode almost easily. I could totally see it being in Outer Limits. Totally. Uh, let's see. I want to talk a little bit more about cast and crew here. The film was directed by somebody who was involved with production design, uh, like the giant behemoth, the beast from 20,000 Fathoms, to bring that one up again. This person whose name I'm probably going to mispronounce, Eugene Laurie? I think actually he went in this film. He's a French uh, director, but that's I think he used Eugene Laurie in this film. You talk about giant monsters and kaiju, this guy was all over it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's uncredited in Godzilla 1977. Hmm. Okay. I don't know what he did for it, yeah. but he's uncredited in it. So. You know, and, and I see he did all this work on production design, which tells me he has an eye for this kind of thing, which mm-hmm. shows because the Colossus itself looks cool. This is an awesome monster design, man. Yeah. Yeah, it is. The whole idea of, I mean, you can see the the, the grill underneath his eyes. That's obviously for the actor to look out of. But, mm-hmm. you know, in general, he was an imposing, I think the guy who filled the suit was seven feet tall. Um, and and he was an imposing Frankensteinish. I hate to use that, keep going back to it, but that's pretty much what this story is in a nutshell is a Frankenstein story. Um, he was an imposing figure. Yeah, he was. And it was cool. And that was one thing again. And I really, you know, we go back to this runtime of 70 minutes and how short it was in a way, but really how they, how they characterized. And I think this is the the best part of this film. Uh, Artemis Gordon, right. From wild, wild west. Um, he was, he, he was, quote unquote, the Colossus of New York. Now he was the actor before that, that was killed and then became the Colossus of New York. But the fact that, you know, they, they show this progression from, you know, this benevolent scientist who is a genius, Einstein level genius. I mean, that's, I think his father said that kind of thing mm-hmm. all the way the arc. And then this is in 70 minutes um, where you, you can see this progression of not villain, but almost in not even I don't even want to say insanity they really talk about in the movie about you know a brain without a soul you know if you don't have your soul or you don't have love and all these things is that really life or what can you expect in that but they show that progression so perfectly all the way to the end of the film that that it's it's astounding they can do that in that short a time yeah, I agree. Uh, it's very lean and mean, like you said earlier. When you mentioned uh, Atticus, that's Ross Martin playing our lead yeah. uh, scientist, uh, Dr. Spencer. Spencer spelled a way that I've never seen spelled before. Um, yes. <laughs> S-P-N, excuse me. Yeah, S-P-E-N-S-S-E-R, double S's. Interesting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he's Dr. Spencer, and he's the genius that, even though I didn't know what I was in for, I purposely stayed away from all reviews of this film, any material. I just, I didn't want to know. I wanted to go in completely cold, but I knew as soon as a particular musical number or stinger hit, he's done. He's done. And the music. Okay. I got to bring up the music because that's who I am. It's what I do. I'm in with you. Van Cleave is the man that's credited as doing the, the work here. He was also known as Nathan Van Cleave later in his career. And Van Cleave is somebody whose work I wish was widely available, or maybe not even widely, just available, period, on CD. Because everything that he's done, yeah, I enjoy. Every time I see his name come up on something, I'm in. Now, was he a studio guy as far as, you know, some of those guys were caught into the studio system? I imagine 58, he probably was. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know anything about him. 
I, I know that he did the Space Children, you know, so he was probably with that particular studio for that, uh, and then the Colossus of New York. But his name, his music turns up uh, all over the place if you go looking into his uh, filmography. I just love what he did. And I, like I said, I really wish I could get it elsewhere. I will add to that and second that. Sometimes the music can overpower a film. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it, it's exactly what a film needs. This music didn't overpower the film. It, it really supplemented the film the way it needed to mm-hmm. without um, overbearing itself in the movie. Well, it was a lot more restrained. And if what we're reading mm-hmm. online is to believe there was a musician's strike at the time, so he didn't have access to his full, I guess, is it orchestra or band? I, I don't know. Yeah. Orchestra, yeah. So everything was a little bit more restrained compared to other work that he had done. And I think that really worked for this too. It gave it more of a, a somber, dare I say, gothic feel with how pulled back yeah. and restrained it was. A lot of piano yeah. and, and, and it was a small cast. Yeah. I mean, it was a small movie and you're, I think you're right. You know, you look at the laboratory or house or whatever um, that they were living. It's very Gothic, you know, Gothic inspired. Mm-hmm. And, and this movie itself is, you know, the Colossus in New York, you expect some giant thing, and, and he was, obviously. But that's a small movie that really knows what it's doing. Now, by the way, there's another Wild Wild West connection in that movie, and that's his wife, uh, Mala Powers, also was in Wild Wild West. She didn't do a lot. I think she was only in one or two episodes. But his wife was also in Wild Wild West. So there's a couple of Wild Wild West. And she did a ton of stuff. She did Bewitched and she was in Gentle Ben and she was Daniel Boone's wife in the Daniel Boone series, Mission Impossible, Hazel. She did a ton of TV, uh, especially those, you know, the TV shows that we yeah. all remember from way back when. She yeah. did a ton of that stuff. But she was a Wild Wild West connection to Artemis Gordon and <laughs> Ross Martin. Right on. Um, for the show. You had that going on. So the, the story overall is, is pretty... I don't want to say basic because then that implies that they didn't really try hard, but it's a pretty simple story. When you really start to break it down, you've got this genius, Dr. Spencer dies much earlier than he should have. There's a a car accident and his father, who's also a scientist type, uh, Dr. William Spencer played by the aforementioned Otto Kruger saves his brain (laughs) and, and puts it in a, a, mechanical body that Jeremy's brother had built. And and he makes a great argument, right? His argument is, you know, was, look, when Einstein dies, we lose Einstein, right? We lose all his uh, abilities, all his thoughts, all his goals, all his dreams, all these people when they die and and we put them in the ground and, and whatever, we've lost all that. What if we could, and this is his driving motive, these geniuses could be saved what if they could be saved and could continue their work their body dies right but their brain if we could continue their work all the great things that they could continue on and do and and solve and all the problems of mankind could go away if we could just save that and that's why i said earlier these guys aren't he's not a villain he's really looking out for the best of humanity. How can we benefit humanity allowing these geniuses to pass away and lost forever doesn't benefit humanity. If we could save them, that would be the way to go. And that's, that's his motivation in this. And it's his son. I mean, I'm sure that's a chunk of motivation too, but um, that's his goal in this whole thing is not to be, you know, Victor Frankenstein. I can be like God or I can make, you know, I'm going to solve the mystery of life and death. It's let's save these geniuses 
to save humanity. They've got such such to offer. Um, a, a finite life isn't worth losing them. It's fairly no- a noble cause that they're they're fighting for here. They're trying to. Yeah. Like you said, retain the genius, all the work that Dr. Jeremy Spencer could have done for the world, if not for getting hit by a car, as we saw earlier, <laughs> trumpeted in by a yeah. little musical singer that I still wish was a little less over the top, but still. Because uh, <laughs> as soon as that music hit, I knew it was like, oh, don't go running. Yes, you know, ah, yeah. But okay, whatever. Nope. Anyway, (laughs) I'm going to keep coming back to that probably because that's the the one thing I wouldn't change about this film. (laughs) But no, it's it's a noble thing that they're trying to do. They're trying to preserve the genius that was Dr. Spencer. Why they had to put him in a seven, eight, nine foot tall mechanical body, I don't know. Now, I was watching that as I – so his brother, and we didn't talk about his brother, who – was a genius in his own right, but in automation. And I think the opening scenes show this, you know, these factories that are cranking out whatever they were making at that time. And there, you could tell it was, a, a, a at that point, a good relationship between brother to brother. But he was an automation guy. He was he could be the guy who makes machines and, and does that kind of thing. And that's where the dad said, you know, look, I've got the brain alive. If you could make a body for it. In, in my world and monster kiddish thing, I'm like, well, you're going to make a body back in those days. It's going to be big. You know, Frankenstein was big. It's not easy to just build a scaled body. So he built this body up for this brain to sit in <laughs> so i just allowed it now actually if you look at and they talk about the suit itself the suit itself was super heavy it had oxygen tanks and all kinds of stuff inside of it for the actor that whole brace that he stood on for the first part of the movie saw the the he was kind of leaning over both sides with that was really because the actor himself holding up that weight needed that to stand there to protect him because that suit was so heavy. It was not just a cape, you know, with whatever and and a mask on top. It was actually full of all kinds of stuff underneath it, which I thought was kind of interesting. The thing is so heavy and the the actor they have in there is seven feet tall and he can't keep it up. Man, I can't imagine trying to move in that thing. And they do some shots later in the film where he's crossing the river to get to New York, which I thought was cool to see him wandering underwater to get there. But I can't imagine moving in that. And I know he really wasn't underwater. It was all, you know, fans and a filter and all that. That's fine. At least that's what I assume. It was a pretty good effect. Yeah, but it was still a cool effect. But I can't imagine just making that thing move the way that he does. Half the time, and I'm a sound guy, so I picked up on this, every step that Colossus takes, you hear this thump, thump. Thump. Yep. And half the time I'm thinking they didn't put that in. That wasn't done in Foley later because that thing had to have been heavy. That had to have it made the thump help. as it hit. So, so who knows? But and yeah, the river. I mean, he was underwater at a certain point because uh, he came up the steps there at the. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The river. So he was underwater at least one time, and I got that's just going to add how much weight on top of it all to get out of that water. Yeah. So, well, he's got that robe, that toga looking thing. That's yeah. all fabric. You know, that's got to weigh him down once it yep. gets wet and soggy. The look of the Colossus, man, I'm going to keep going back to that because it just looks flat out. Cool. 
That thing was neat. I would love an action figure of that, I'll tell you. Oh, you're, you're right. And, and in a way, it was so intimidating, right? He just had the mouth move just a little bit, you know, just a, uh-huh. enough. And he got the glowing eyes. You know, they would shut him down and the eyes would go off and he'd tilt forward. But when he was up, and of course, they gave him some superpowers as he went on down the road. But he was beyond being seven foot tall and intimidating. And I, you know, if you're going to have a movie called the Colossus in New York, I suppose you don't want to have a guy that's five, seven, right. You got to have a big guy, but it was, (laughs) it was a Colossus, right? He was a big presence, not only height wise, but with that toga, like you talked about, it made him wide. So he was, he was an imposing from the get go. Definitely something that sets you back a little bit watching him. Well, and when I learned that, one of the people that were responsible for the design was Charles Gamora, mm-hmm. a legendary ape man, you know, to know that he was involved. Oh, of course, it looks awesome. I didn't know that. It's kind of cool. Charles Gamora, man. God, one of the best gorilla men out there. Man. Absolutely. So good. Absolutely. Any of the movie, eight movies from the, in the era, especially in the area we like, Gamora had his fingertips all over it. If he didn't do it, um, he copied what he was doing. So he was the guy. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. The writer, by the way, I don't know if we talked about her, Thelma Schnee. Um, after writing this, she, she became a parapsychologist. She was a psychologist and became a parapsychologist. She was the one who came up with, uh, she could read people's auras and came up the mapping of auras. I thought was kind of interesting. Really? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was wow. interesting that these people, again, a lot of this cast, you know, they got their bona fides in Westerns and genre and that kind of stuff. And then she not only took that, she went in a little extra step and actually dove into parapsychology. I thought that was kind of cool. Interesting. Whether you buy into any of that or not, that's fascinating to know that that's where she went. I had no idea. I knew she wrote other things. Mm -hmm. I know she was involved with like Lights Out and a series that I just recently discovered, Science Fiction Theater from the 50s, which- Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. And I'm going to start showing, and I already showed one, but I'm going to start showing more episodes of that during the Social Distance Saturday screenings that I do. By the way, there's some good. Uh, here we go. We're gonna we're gonna trot down a rabbit trail. Just and we do this every time you and I talk. So just expect it. <laughs> that rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on Kindle, and I'm gonna tell you, uh-huh. they're only 99 cents on Kindle. The Golden Age Uh-oh. of Science Fiction. There's got to be. Well, heck, I don't even know. They're all anthology series. They're 99 cents a piece. You can buy a whole bunch of them and you get five or six stories in each side of them. But they're all from that whole golden age from like the 40s through the 60s. Good stuff on Kindle. And they don't pay me for that endorsement. But (laughs) there you go. (laughs) You can't you can't beat it for 99 cents. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hard to. mm -hmm. I collect a little bit of Pulp Fiction stuff. I've been putting together a Planet Stories run. I love that golden age of science fiction. I love it. <laughs> so science fiction theater is great. Yeah, it, it really is. But yeah, that's all I knew about her is that she wrote other things like that. I did not know much about her background with the parapsychology. That's, um, wow. She was a ghostbuster. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to call? Thelma Schnee. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue as easily. No. You know, just, <laughs> but... <laughs> That's fascinating. Okay. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, they put the brain in this body and, you know, 
as cool as the body was, I also really liked before they got the mechanical body up and running because they've got this lab set up with the brain connected with various wires to all the different machines in there. And it makes me think of computers back then where these yeah. huge filled rooms and rooms to do one little tiny thing, right? Yeah. It's kind of the same thing here. The entire room has been set up to run the brain. And yeah. it just looked neat. It was a pretty neat set the way it was done. But much like the Frankenstein set, it looked like mm -hmm. it all worked, right? It looked yes. like mm -hmm. it wasn't just throwing, oh, hey, put this because it flashes. It looked like it was doing, quote, unquote, what it was supposed to be doing, you know. And, mm -hmm. and, and that was another parallel to Frankenstein that I thought was good is, is the lab. Now, it was not, the, you know, the, the extravagance of the Frankenstein movie, but they brought it down to a level and it looked like, you know what, I buy what they're doing. I don't understand it, but it looks like it works to me. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that goes again to the production designer eye of the director, making sure that everything looks like it's going to work. I totally bought it. Yeah, totally I bought did it. too. Even a little bit later, skipping into the story, a one of the things that the science Jeremy was working on before he died was, and it's kind of weird, but... Uh, a Arctic wheat or Arctic grain where they could grow it in the cold to feed the world. And it was all about feeding the world. And they had those tanks all over the, the lab that were frozen. You could see they're frozen on the inside. They had cabbages and, and different things growing. You know, it, it sold the story, right? It, it all yeah. made sense. Everything serviced this short 78-minute long film. Everything serviced the story. And, and that's something that I really enjoyed about this movie. Normally, science fiction films of the 50s, for the most part, we typically go to Universal with what Jack Arnold yeah. was doing and that sort of thing. And Jack Arnold even directed The Space Children, the co-feature yeah. with this when it was originally released. I was surprised to see a Jack Arnold level of detail in so much of what was going on here on screen mm -hmm. from a non-Jack Arnold film. And from a movie that you know the budget wasn't that big. You could look at this oh, movie and have just guess yeah. the budget on this movie. It was not a huge budget. It couldn't have been. And it kind of showed. I think all the money went into the mechanical man, basically. <laughs> and the lab set, because other than really that, and that's another part about this movie, is they don't spend a lot of time outside. I mean, there's a little bit in the garden scenes. And, of course, it's the mm -hmm. United Nations. But you appreciate that. And you know, like I said earlier, I, I interview a lot of indie filmmakers and stuff. And, and – one of the things and one of the secrets some of the better ones understand is you don't have to be a Marvel movie, right? If you can tell a good story, you can have a single set or a set and a half or, or whatever and tell a solid story based on that. And I think that's what they did. I think they took their budget and they used every nickel of it, but they used it to the best possible way they could to tell the story that they had. And I think they were super effective in the story. In the end, it's almost a family drama, a story about a family yeah. and what happens when one of these family members is killed and brought back to life as the Colossus of New York. But I mean, ultimately, it's a family story. <laughs> that, that's how I want to go out. I want to become the Colossus yeah. of New York eventually. <laughs> it's, that's right. Um, they are still using his brain. They're still utilizing his genius. Mm -hmm. The brother has kind of moved on from his brother being killed and has some interest potentially and well not even potentially interest in the widow yes and that that doesn't sit well with the colossus spencer he served as the kind of the jiminy cricket in a way yeah and it's kind of the jurassic park thing just because you could you never thought should we right you just could you, you knew we could do it should we do it and he, that was his point to the father was look 
this is great. You can do this. You can save this. But this mind without a connection to a body, without feelings, without love, without soul, without all these things um, just left alone, is that a life? Is that is that the way we need to go? And, and again, they did pitch a little bit of love interest and they got that. They didn't spend a lot of time on that, which I kind of appreciated because they could have done it. And a lot of 50s movies especially do it worse where they really, really mm -hmm. on that. But the point was he really served as that. And, and I think the best science fiction asks these questions, right? The best science fiction asks questions like that. We can do this. Should we do this? What is the best thing that man should reach for and become? What should we drive for? Um, what should we stay away from? That kind of thing. And I think this movie, as simple as it was, addresses some of those questions. You know, what is it to be human? Is genius everything? Or is there another component to that? And that reaches even now and we talk about AI and some of the things like that that are coming down. Uh, modern takes. I think this movie really forward thought some of those questions of exactly what do we expect from genius? What do we expect from humanity? And I will give them this. They dodged, you know, they didn't jump into to religion. Some movies would have jumped into religion a little bit in this. They didn't say that. They mentioned the soul and that was about as deep as they got. But I really appreciated that from this film, that level of thought provoking dialogue of what I just said, what is it to be human? Is it just your intellect? I think when it comes to genre cinema, and you talked about the, the Twilight Zoning-ish of this film to begin with, when it comes to genre media, you can really start putting these questions, these ideas into the narrative without drawing too much attention to them, yeah. which is one of the things that Rod Serling liked doing about Twilight Zone. Yes. You know, put all these different messages and ideas into the genre pictures or the genre stories because he knew the studio would let him make a movie or excuse me, make a TV show about Martians, mm -hmm. but not a TV show about racism. Right. You know? Exactly. Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really get away with that. And I, I could see that here. I almost wonder if this movie was smarter than it really had any right to be because of these things. And, and I wonder if it suffered for that, right? This movie is not, you know, when you think of 1950s science fiction, this is not a movie mm. that leaps to everybody's tongue, right? You know, no. Forbidden Planet, Creature from the Black Lagoon, your favorite, This Island Earth <laughs> we had talked about earlier. There's a lot, and those are smart films too, and I'm not trying to degrade any of those at all. But this is not a film that leaps to anybody's mind. But I think this film was was in a way a little bit ahead of its time as far as is what it was asking, the questions it was asking, and how it answered those questions. I think in a little bit that it was a little bit ahead of where a lot of people were thinking. You know, this wasn't your typical drive-in. You did have the giant big monster guy and the Frankenstein kind of thing. Sure. Um, but it was asking and answering questions that I don't know that your typical drive-in theater, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-old was asking at the time. Um, and I think it really can, can have some – even today – I think it, it challenges some things that we think about even now. I, I think then that's the best, right? If, if science fiction can last and ask questions that last to today, what does that say about the story? I think that that really validates what it is. And to be fair, this movie does not get the best of love. I mean, it's not beaten down at all, and, and there's really nothing wrong. But it's just simply in a lot of times, you know, you and I both came to this movie in the last two years. Right. This is not one that was was constantly in, in everybody's thought. You know, Forbidden Planet, I've seen 300,000 times. One of my favorite science fiction movies of all time. And I'll say that this island Earth, a bunch of times, you know, creature. We talked about creature, all these different movies. 
Godzilla, whatever. And this is a movie that really hung under the radar, but I think its message and what it has to talk about and some of the challenges are really, really prime, even right up to today. Not that I've seen all the monster movies there are to see, but there's a reason why this is something that I've not watched up until now. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't picking my radar. Yeah. Just didn't, you know, for whatever reason, it just wasn't part of my vocabulary when it comes to classic sci-fi. Like I said earlier, I typically go to the Universal 50s Jack Arnold stuff. And, and, and thankfully, you know, Olive Films put out an amazing, this thing on Blu-ray, I don't know how you saw it. The Blu-ray, I'd say it's about a lot of those old films. This film shouldn't look as good as this film does, but it is a stunning. And Olive doesn't do any, unfortunately, commentaries or any extras, but it looks phenomenal. We're in a golden age as far as that's concerned. Some of these these older films get loving treatments. I, I like a lot of exploitation, 70s cinema, and some of that stuff. And some of those films probably shouldn't get the love they get, but they're getting some great love now. And we're in a good golden age of that stuff. So that's awesome. I mean, we live in an age in which Manos the Hands of Fate is on yes. Blu-ray. <laughs> so, you know, exactly. I mean. Exactly. <laughs> it gets a 4K scan, right? I don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and, and and I don't mind. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I love it. I, I have in my collection, I, I've had to curtail a lot of my Blu-ray and DVD buying, but uh, last year, I was happy to say that I added God Monster of Indian Flats to my collection on Blu-ray. There you go. You know, sign me up. There you go. There's you know, some and, great and they stuff look... coming out on Blu-ray now. Some great old classic films. War of the Worlds. I think I just put this out on my uh channel not too long ago war of the world is getting a criterion love which is about time how that missed under the radar all this time i don't know there's a lot of those films and they're getting the treatment that they deserve these films are important and and, you know like i said colossus has a story to tell and and these other films they're all they do have it they're not just bygone era you know oh that's kind of quaint they do have stories to tell and and it's so great that they're getting treatment that they deserve now, uh, to address something you just said about War of the Worlds finally coming out on Blu-ray, I can't help but wonder if part of the reason why it had not been released on Blu-ray has to do with the fact that it keeps getting remade and keeps being updated, whether it's a film or a TV series or something. It's just a lot of times when that happens, the studios will sit on previous incarnations of those movies You're right. so that the only thing that's out there is their product, not to dilute the market. But I don't know. That, that could have been what it was. I don't know. Hey, but. I'm just thankful that it's coming because that's a giant yeah. hole as far as I have the DVD, which is fine, but you can see the strings and some of the other stupid stuff on the things. But that's a film that definitely deserves the full trick. That's the one thing I worry about is that they're going to restore the strings. I got Criterion. <laughs> I trust Criterion. Anything they touch, you know, look at it this way. Carnival of Souls on Criterion is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> so they took that movie with you talk about shoestring budget and made that thing look like, you know, a cinema masterpiece, which it is, I think, in my personal yeah. humble opinion. <laughs> it's wonderful. And I'm sure by the time this episode has gone out, I've shown it during a social distance Saturday episode because it is a gorgeous film. And, and it's creepy and, and- and boy, we far off track, but but it's creepy and good, and I love it. Well, and it's one of my favorite horror films. <laughs> we're off track, but these things that we're talking about, you know, this Carnival of Souls, Colossus of New York, yeah, low budget, small cast, small story, but so effective. Yes, 
and have it have a meaningful story to tell. It's not just yeah. you know. And again, I, I drop back a lot of the drive-in stuff from the fifties was was titillation and a lot of a lot of damsel in distress and the this and the that and the handsome hot rod guys. They're wonderful and they're fun and they're a blast. Horror Party Beach is one of my favorite movies. Right, that's the sixties, but there you go. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorite movies of all time. But it doesn't tell a story. Like Colossus of New York tells. Colossus of New York is a is a like you know it, it's got a message in top of its weak budget that is impactful all the way through. You know, Horror Party Beach. Yeah, you probably, probably shouldn't dump uh, toxic waste into the ocean. That's about its message. <laughs> or you'll get. I was going to say. That, that's a, yeah. I was going to ask you what the message of Horror Party Beach was. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, if you do that, you'll get uh, sausage chewing monsters who will come and kill women. <laughs> well, that yeah, that's the. Me- I mean, it's a good message. It's probably something we should. Yeah, it's you know, a good message. That's like but... up there. Don't drive drunk. Those those are you know the messages <laughs> that you need to have, but <laughs> they don't actually. I guess it's the existential questions that Horror Party Beach doesn't get to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect that's probably the furthest thing from their mind when they made that movie. <laughs> exactly. But I love it. I love it yeah, as much as yeah. I love all of them. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. To, to come back to this movie, like I said, the, the story is pretty bare bones and pretty basic, mm-hmm. but it does ask these questions, but not at the expense of interesting characterizations. I really enjoyed Otto Kruger as Dr. Spencer yeah. as the father. Not just as the father in control of everything and and putting limits here and there and talking about the brain and the genius being important, but when the Colossus turns on him, his performance as he's being mesmerized, hypnotized, controlled, whatever it is, the performance that he gives there, that face that he makes, it's terrifying. There's a complete loss of control that he has expressed to us through a completely blank face, but I totally bought it and I sold felt it. bad for the guy, man. It's, yeah. Yeah. He sold it a hundred percent that you're exactly correct. The subtle things like that, that the portrayals, how Otto Kruger did that portrayal, the portrayal of Ross Martin, Colossus, whatever his arc, right. As he starts to slowly lose control. Um, we talked about the invisible man earlier, you know, that, that loss of control, slip, slip, slip. But the thing that this movie does that I really appreciated in most other films of this genre, this type, you know, the the monster is made, you know, it it has its arc, but then everybody else bands together to kill the monster, right? It's, it's, Mm -hmm. we've all got it. It's sad that we have to do this, but we've got it. We talked to beast of 20,000 fathoms. We talked to all these Frankenstein, right? All these things we have to band together, you know, get the, the torch, uh, wielding crowd to kill yeah. the monster and stop what we did. Colossal man, right? All these things. In this movie, it was the monster himself doing horrible things, right? He he starts to go really full on monster, mm-hmm. and then steps back and says, "I can't do this anymore. I have to be destroyed." Right? He's the one. It wasn't. It was his agency from the get go, and it's cool because it 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 really bookends at the very beginning. When they first put him together and they talked to him, they said, what do you, you know, they, they say, are you there? Can you, can you hear me? You know, what are you saying? And his first things are kill me, right? Destroy me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, no, you're not, you're crazy. You don't want, you don't want that, you know? And then at the very end, he, he is the one who decides. So at the first he says to destroy me, 
gets his big old arc, and at the end, he's the one in charge of that. And that's a cool ref- – and again, another refreshing take in this. There's no mad scientists. They're all pretty good guys. The monster himself starts normal like a Frankenstein, gets monstrous, and then at the same time, he's the one who decides – I have to stop. It's really, really turns a lot of tropes right on top of its head. Mm-hmm. Right on top. Man, can you imagine being in the position of the son of Billy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who has finally started to come to terms with the idea that, yeah, this is his dad. And now his dad wants him to turn him off. Yeah. I mean. Tragedy. Man. Tragedy. It, it really is. And you talked about Billy in this. You know, you had the uncle who was trying to, to mack on a little bit, his, his, the mom, right? He wanted to take her to Hawaii, and he was always bringing Billy a present. And Billy was a little standoffish, right? He's coming to terms with his father being dead, and all of a sudden there's this other guy kind of trying to take the place. And then Billy gets his father back and then has to that's, – that's like heavy-level narrative that you just don't get heck in a lot of movies today. You don't get that kind of heavy level narrative, especially in a 70 minute science fiction movie from the fifties. That's crazy stuff. Yeah. There's a lot to get out of this film, man. I I am so glad that we stuck to our guns and finally did this. Mm -hmm. It's something that I am going to watch again. Uh, Yeah. On a technical level. Yeah. There's some really cool stuff. Even the way the opening credits are done really cool, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you start to get into it, man. You could really, dissect this film and find a lot of uncomfortable questions to ask and, and maybe just as uncomfortable answers. There's deep things. You talked about it being a family as far as a family drama in a way. There's deep things in this film. There's there's hard questions that are asked that resonate, as I said earlier, to today. There's a lot of things in this movie about what is a family, you know, what is grief. All these things are built into this little 70-minute science fiction film with a shoestring budget that really nobody has seen. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but it's just a film that doesn't come up very often. There's a lot here to unpack that's worth more than one viewing and and putting back on the shelf. Now, I don't have it on Blu-ray, but it sounds like it's something that when I'm able to, it's something I need to add to my collection even if it's a bare bones release, which, yeah, you know, I wish all the films did more, but you know, they're a lower budget, lower tier boutique Blu-ray release company, which I suppose works in this film's favor because again, it's one of these movies that nobody even talks about or whatever. It doesn't ping the radar the way some of these other classic sci-fi films do. That's true. Absolutely. Is there anything else we want to say about the film before we start wrapping up here? Just, I really encourage everybody to, again, I know this isn't a, film that that is widely seen uh, and i don't think before it's blu-ray release i don't know if it had a dvd release or a vhs release. It probably did i don't know that but if you've not seen this film and you like hard science fiction that that asks the tough questions and not just giant monsters you know and i love that stuff too this is a film to seek out and, and watch and really give a critical eye to just don't pass it off as a as another 50s kind of burn away drive-in film. I think this film, as we've talked about, has some questions to ask, has some questions to answer, and really, really deserves, you know, a place in, in every Monster Kids library of, of viewing, whether they own it physically or have watched it at least. I think this is a this is a classic of the fifties that unfortunately is just underseen, I think. Good enough said it better myself, man. That is exactly what I think about this film. It's underseen, underrated, and that in itself is undeserved because this movie does have a lot to say and a lot to ask. And 
even if nothing else, you're going to see some really cool robot stuff. Absolutely. It doesn't miss on the Monster Kid side. Also, it delivers in that piece of the pie as well. So <laughs> we don't want to do we don't want to lose that. Some science fiction gets a little dry. This delivers on the monster side of it, too. That so. it does. <laughs> that it does. Uh, again, I'm really glad we did this, Todd. Thanks for working with me and being patient with me. Obviously, it's oh, been over absolutely. a year, like we said. <laughs> yeah, um, that's okay. So, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, we were talking about the haunted cinema earlier. I don't think we told people where they can find it. www.thehauntedcinema.com. Well, that's easy. And on there, I try to release an interview every Friday, and it just depends how stacked up I get. Um, unfortunately I'm, I'm about to go into a dry spell. So I got to really start working my butt off to get some interviews, Karen, uh, and some other writers. I try to release articles on Tuesdays from them. Mm -hmm. We'll throw a review in every now and then, but there's always something going on. And I do have a Facebook page for the haunted cinema. Uh, you can join that. And there is a haunted cinema group as well. And you please join that. But, uh, we, we always try to have something fresh pop up onto the site. Check us out. We're there. Something's coming up every week, usually, and uh, it's always fun. It's always genre-related and fun. Right on. Well, again, thank you for doing this. I'll make sure there are links in the show notes so people can find The Haunted Cinema, check out what Todd's got on tap there, uh, read Karen's articles as well, check out all the artwork. I mean, you've got pictures of all the cool stuff up on your website, so just go have fun at The Haunted Cinema, gang. That is thehauntedcinema.com. Pop on over there. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you when you're done checking out all the really cool articles over there. I personally particularly liked Kara Joan Kohotek's article about the movie The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Died and Became Mixed Up Zombies. And one of my favorite sections of the Haunted Cinema's website is the Alternative Movie Posters section, where Todd has collected photographs of, well, alternative movie posters. These are movie posters that have been generated since the movies have come out. Like there's a, a Frankenstein movie poster on here, a couple of Frankenstein style movie posters on here that are just awesome. So I recommend checking that out as well. Todd, once again, thank you so much for being part of the show. Really appreciate it. Let's not wait three years to have you back on, okay? <laughs> can't describe it. The hideous part of it is it's making the children obey its every command. The children are completely in its power. And we're in the power of the children. Space children, spreading a network of terror through a top-secret missile base in a nation's desperate hour of decision. Space children, the dangerous pawns of a power so strange that no sentries can stop them. Why did you let those children inside here? Dr. Woman, what children? No rocket can rise anywhere in the world. Four, three, two, one, fire! Army destroy them. Get those kids out of there. They live on flesh and subsist on blood. 
They're hundreds of years old and look decayed. They rise at night and can't be stopped. They're the walking dead who are never buried. And they're coming your way now in Horror of the Zombies. It's all new chills and a shocking and ghastly nightmare of gruesome terror. Horror of the Zombies. Rated R from Independent International. You will freeze as you watch a warped scientist become transformed into a godless beast when his bloody scalpel probes the forbidden secrets of a woman's flesh. In Atom Age Vampire, you will flame for the stark ritual of a beautiful girl's last searing dance as tragedy forever mars her loveliness, leaving her to face a world of terror. I give you my word that I will restore your face, restore all your beauty. You will cringe as the demented doctor experiments with a girl's trusting innocence. But to possess the living miracle wrought by his twisted genius, he must forever sacrifice his soul to the cunning gods of evil. A transplant directly from another human being. A mad creature born of the atomic age, now shackled to a world of rotting bodies and violent death. A sadist, a criminal, a depraved animal, more ferocious than Jekyll, more monstrous than Frankenstein, more bloody than Dracula. <laughs> Fire a volley through the window pane. You will gasp as lust and madness stalk the dark and screaming night in Atom Age Vampire. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Once again, thank you for being part of the Monster Kid Radio audience. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing posts on Facebook and retweeting tweets and letting people know about what we do here. I love talking about monster movies with people, people that I consider longtime friends or people that I've just met. And I'd love to meet even more of you. So again, if you have any feedback for the show, email me, monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call us at 503 479 Five six five seven. That's four seven nine five MKR. Now this information is available on our website over at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find everything that you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. Links to everything that we've talked about here on the show: the haunted cinema, Amazon affiliate links. So you can pick up some of the movies that we've talked about here on the show. That's all there. If you are going to shop on Amazon, please consider using those affiliate buttons. It helps us out. You can also become a patron of Monster Kid Radio through Patreon. There's a button for that on the website, or you can just go to Patreon.com/slash Monster Kid Radio. Links to our T Public shop, which you're going to want to pay attention to because they seem to be doing a lot of sales lately, like up to 35% off. So you can get some pretty cheap T-shirts and merchandise that way. You can find a link to the band that we're playing this week and a link to our Twitch stream that I mentioned at the top of the show. Again, that is twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. Come on over, watch some awesome movies, maybe an episode of One Step Beyond or two with us. And actually, I think this upcoming week, I'm going to try to show an episode of Science Fiction Theater because as I was digging into Otto Kruger's background, I found that he actually appeared in two episodes of that show. It's a really neat program, so I'm probably going to show an episode of that Maybe instead of One Step Beyond, well, but we'll see. I got to see how much time uh, I have to fill. Speaking of times, the stream on Saturday starts at 11 a.m. Pacific. This is what we call the pre-show. It could be anything, documentaries, shorts, whatever. And then the live movies with chat or movies with live chat 
Movies with Chat Live. The Movies with the Chat starts around noon. And again, this is all Pacific time because that's where I'm at. And then this movie party goes through at least 9 p.m. I'm showing movies nonstop. Come at the beginning, pop in and out throughout the day, come at the very end. Just come on over, subscribe, follow, watch the movies, have a good time as we watch some really quality films. Shock, the Vincent Price film, I'm a big fan of, and it's got a lot of really cool film noir-like elements. I think you guys and gals are going to dig it if you haven't seen it yet. And who doesn't love Atomic Age Vampire? Come on. Horror of the Zombies, and this is the third film in the Tombs of the Blind Dead series, so that'll be playing probably later on in the day, just because it gets a little bit more intense, and, you know, that's my brain says more intense goes later on in the stream. I don't know why. The Crimson Ghost episodes, Creature of Discretion, you know, it's just going to be a good time. Come on over and maybe even pay attention on Facebook because I should have an event page put up over the next day or two that you can follow and join and see the schedule and all of that. What's coming up next week? Well, it's been a little while since I've had Anthony Wendell on the show by himself to talk about Tokusatsu with me. I think I pronounced that right. Japanese science fiction. The movie that we're going to be talking about is a film that, again, first time viewing for me, it's a 1963 movie directed by Ashira Honda. It is... Atragon. Atragon, the most devastating device the mind of man has yet created. It travels on land and in the sea. It tunnels through the earth. Its crew, all supermen with super weapons, can freeze their enemies and enslave them. Fear are the gods of terror on the hidden continent. No thing, no man, no adventurer can match the nine amazing wonders of Atragon, nor the massive powers of its allegoric destroyer. see wonders that challenge the imagination spoiler alert i really liked the movie come back next week to hear why and to hear anthony and just kind of catch up with him and see what he's been up to as of late i know that he's been putting himself at the forefront of everything that's going on with the corona apocalypse so much respect to anthony for what he's doing talk a little bit about that next week too so come back in seven-ish days for that. You can also follow Monster Kid Radio through your various podcast catchers, iTunes, Spotify. I'm not quite sure where else we are. Just look us up on the internet and we'll turn up. And maybe you'll turn up next week for the next episode. Between now and then, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, not commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. The song... Bam Bam is copyright Crabs 2019. And of course, he gave us permission to play that song here. You can find it at getcrabs.bandcamp.com and pick up their four-song EP release for four pounds. Go check them out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. (laughs) 